Welcome to Forget the Wine, Reclaiming the Book Club. I'm Laura. My friend Madeline and I were sick of pop culture portraying book clubs as thinly veiled ladies' wine nights, so we started one of our own. In each episode, we'll discuss a different work of modern literary fiction. We're so glad you joined the club. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our latest episode of Forget the Wine. I'm Madeline, coming to you from Tasmania. Um, joined by the lovely Laura, coming to you from hello, Minnesota. Hello. <laughs> Great. Well, today we're really excited for another install of a discussion about a Sally Rooney novel. Today we're discussing Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. If you're a fan of this episode or a fan of her work in general, you can check out our other recordings about conversations with friends, her de- debut novel, and Normal People, her novel that really took the world by storm. We had we had a bit of a hot take on that novel, <laughs> so it might be fun to go back and listen to that one. But I'm really excited for our discussion today because Laura and I have some very differing views on the novels. So Laura, why don't you start us off with a synopsis? Yeah, this is a summary from NPR. Beautiful World focuses on four characters, the two best friends and the two men with whom they test tentative new romantic relationships. Alice Keller is a wildly successful Irish novelist who, in the wake of a nervous breakdown, has rented an isolated, chaotically huge old rectory three hours from Dublin on the outskirts of a coastal town where she knows no one. Felix Brady, a local whom she meets on an inauspicious first date after they connect on Tinder, has made a mess of his life and has landed unhappily working at a large shipping warehouse. Interwoven with their story is that of Eileen Leiden, a hyper-intellectual, ridiculously low-paid editorial assistant at a Dublin literary journal. Smarting from a painful breakup, she seeks solace in the company of her oldest friend, Simon, a parliamentary assistant who, over the years, has casually dated a series of much younger women. Simon has been a light in her often unhappy life since early childhood, and she's loath to risk losing his devoted friendship for a serious relationship that might go wrong. So what this uh, summary from NPR doesn't hit on is that kind of the literary structure that binds the stories of our of our two couples, Alex and Felix and Eileen and Simon is every chapter is broken up by a a series of emails that Alice and Eileen are writing to each other. They're college friends, and they're writing to each other to kind of catch each other up on on life as they enter their 30s. So how did you feel that that format worked for you? I I thought Sally Rooney, and we can talk about a little bit about this effectiveness. She really took a departure in this novel with the format. I thought her use of the email exchange was really effective. That was my favorite part of the novel, was seeing how Alice and um, Eileen spoke to each other. We get a lot into these conversations about the meaning of life. They relate their sort of quotidian day-to-day experience of living to these bigger questions about what it means to be alive in this day and age. So for me, that part of the novel is more so more similar to Sally Rini's previous books, of, um, her style of writing, where it's like very conversational, very much in dialogue, very intellectual, but in a way that's not overly obnoxious. <laughs> and then the other pieces of the novel are told in third-person omniscient narration. So third person, but we're in the minds of the different characters moving back and forth between their minds quite a bit between the four core characters. And that part of the novel for me 
the writing style just didn't work as well. And we can talk a little bit about why I felt that way and <laughs> what I didn't like about it. But you could tell that Rooney in this novel was really being a bit more experimental with her writing style, trying some different things, but ultimately some things worked well and some didn't work well, in my personal opinion. I think its reception overall was was still well received. But I think Rooney, like we have to remember, even though she's been wildly successful, she's still a very much a developing writer. I don't think she sees herself that way in some ways. Like I think she knows she's growing and changing as a writer, <laughs> but I think she believes she's already mastered the craft in a lot of ways. And I don't really believe that's the case. But yeah, Laura, do you want to start digging into like the deeper into the novel? Should we talk about the four characters at the center? Because this is really, it's not a plot driven novel by any means. It's a very character driven novel. I think that's a good way to start, especially because the pairs of our characters are, are pretty different from each other. And I think divisive, some are easier to like or even tolerate than others. We have two couples. We have Alice and Felix. And then we have Simon and Eileen. And the connection between these two couples is that Alice and Eileen are friends from college. So starting with Alice, she is a novelist. She's moved from Dublin to the countryside. And the Atlantic describes Alice as Rooney loaning Alice the shape of her own career. So we see a lot of viewpoints of like what it means to be a novelist, what it means to become wildly successful quickly, and how it's affected Alice's relationships with people around her. We also know that she's had a nervous breakdown in the recent past, so she's struggling with issues with her mental health. Do you, Should we talk about Felix next, Laura? Yeah, Felix, as the summary uh, alludes to, Alice meets on a Tinder date. That's kind of the opening scene of the novel. And at first, they really don't have much of a romantic connection at all. He comes back to see her rectory. They have some awkward conversation. But he ends up inviting her to a house party that some of his friends are throwing just because he feels bad for her and she doesn't really know anyone in town. Then she sort of on a whim, invites him to come to Rome with her on a on her book tour, um, where she's doing some readings, and there their romantic relationship starts to develop. Uh, I think there's a lot of themes throughout this book, or at least tension throughout this book of working class versus elitism. And that's kind of played out in Felix and Alice's relationship. So Felix is a he works basically in an Amazon warehouse packing boxes. And he talks a lot with Alice about how the physicality of his work is harder than what she does. So she's more financially successful. She has a capital C career. Um, but he, you know, doesn't compare it to the kind of physical labor that he does. Their relationship I loved reading about. It's the kind of romantic relationships and books I'm always drawn to. They have, they're two smart people who are smart in really different ways. Alice is an author. She can use her words really effectively. You alluded to the fact that she had a mental breakdown. I think she has come through that and really, to some extent, self-actualized. I think she's pretty self-aware and has a really strong sense of self. Felix, on the other hand, is extremely perceptive. I think he can call people on their bullshit from a mile away. He's so observant and incisive. And just hearing them banter back and forth and their whole relationship is kind of a power play between each other. And I loved reading about. But how did you find their romance with each other? Did you think that they were a good match? Yeah, I agree. I think that the romance between Alice and Felix was another 
key part of the novel that I enjoyed reading. And this is again where Rudy's strike lies is in, is in her dialogue, her kind of banter back and forth between characters. I think she wrote their pieces of dialogue really effectively in that you can see that push and pull and witness it because they're almost both like so stuck in their own heads respectively that it you can see it permeating into the power plays. They're simultaneously self-aware, but also like completely clouded um, to trying to be able to truly connect with other people. So yeah, I thought that I agree that bantering and that sort of power dynamic worked really well. And that Alice says, I love you to Felix very early on. And he very consciously doesn't say it back to her. And that's always a piece of like a power play between them. And Felix, I think really like loves and is charmed by the fact that Alice says, I love you. And that he knows he has this kind of pull over her. But at the same time, he's very, feels very powerless in comparison with his job and his class and his education in comparison to Alice. When he attends her readings in Rome and listens to her speak about her novels, when he sees how people respond to her, you know, that takes away his power in his, in his own mind. They both are very conscious of what they struggle with in their mental health as well, which I thought was really nice to see and read about. And they don't have a perfect ending either. Like they are still together, but they're not in a perfect sort of lovey-dovey, happy life. Like they're still actively working on it. And I thought that was re a really effective way to wrap up their relationship. I will say the one thing I didn't love about Felix's character that Rooney seemed to sort of toss in to make it more millennial is uh, interesting or in with the times is that she makes his character bisexual. And uh, in previous novels, like in conversations with friends, I think she was more effective with her bisexual characters, but, and, and how that, you know, affects their relationships with other people around them and the way they view love and romance. Um, and I think Felix just felt very kind of flat in that way. Like he flirts a little bit with Simon and he goes on to dating, like gay dating apps. But other than that, that part of it just felt kind of bland and forced to me. I agree. I think, you know, just based on who Felix was described to be, his group of friends, he probably wouldn't, have, like his character in the book is extremely open about being bisexual. Uh, he wears it on his sleeve. And I don't know that that character, like in the reality of, of things would be so open. Like it just, it, I think you're right. It did feel like a element that was thrown on top and not considered how it would really affect his character in this small town outside of Dublin, like how it would affect the way that he related in his community. But because it was my favorite part of the book, I hope you'll indulge me in just sharing two quotes that I think really sum up Alex and Felix's relationship. So the first is after Felix attends Alice's book tour. He says, I was thinking about it over in Italy, watching you do your reading and your autographs and all that. I wouldn't go so far as to say you were working hard because your job's a laugh compared to mine. But you have a lot of people wanting things off of you. And I think none of them actually care about you one bit. I don't know if anyone does. 
So his brutal honesty to Alice there, I think, just like rips right through her. Um, but I also think she appreciates that, like in a partner, having somebody be close to her, be able to not see her as a writer or a phenom or just an intellect, but really kind of uh, relate to her experience. Another example is when they're fighting at the end of the novel and Alice shuts down Felix and then Felix responds with, I like your style, I'll give you that. You're not easy to get the upper hand on, are you? Obviously, I'm not going to manage it. It's funny because you carry on like you'd let me walk all over you, answering my text at two in the morning, telling me you're in love with me, blah, blah, blah. But that's all your way of saying, just try and catch me because you won't. And I can see I won't. You're not going to let me have it for a minute. Nine times out of 10, you'd have someone fooled with the way you go on. You're only letting me act badly because it puts you above me. And that's where you like to be above, above. But from now on, you don't need to act like you're under my thumb when we both know I'm nowhere near you. All right. So that's really their dynamic is just this push pull of power and who is chasing whom and who is more invested in the relationship than the other. But they're both speaking about it pretty openly and honestly. And that I found really engaging. And I just liked reading the scenes with them. I felt like they were bubbly and sizzly. And I I loved the way that those two were, which I think brings us to the other couple, which is Simon and Eileen. Um, so in this couple, uh, like the summary alluded to, Eileen, she acts, I, I, she, I believe that she and Alice are the same age, but to me, she reads younger. She reads like more like a college girl, although I think she is in her early 30s. And Simon is a few years older. He is always described as first and foremost religious. He's Catholic and as always being kind of a do the right thing type of of guy. So Eileen and Simon have been kind of circling around each other for years since childhood. Um, And then they finally end up kind of working their way into a relationship throughout the duration of, of the novel. Um, but with them too, there's a bit of a power play where I Eileen doesn't want to come out and say that she wants to be in a relationship with Simon because she's just not willing to be that vulnerable with him. But how did their relationship work for you? I'd love to talk about them individually really quickly because I think that helps me understand why I struggled so much with their relationship and what bothered me so much about their dynamic, <laughs> because as individuals, I think the way that Rooney characterized them really affected then the conflict that she put into their relationship, the will they won't they barrier to their happiness. Eileen, this is from the New York Times, Eileen is the standard Rooney protagonist, ambivalent, sensitive, lethal in conversation. She's got the classic mistrustful delusion of a younger child, needy and convinced of her own victimhood. I mean, that pretty much summarizes why I really hated Eileen and spending time with her. (laughs) She just is really an unlikable character, but in not you know, an intentional way that some of our more acerbic, unlikable female characters have been written in previous novels we've discussed. She's obsessed with Simon and she's obsessed with this idea that if he had only like been her boyfriend from the time she was 15 and he was 20, then she would have been like, okay in life. She takes absolutely no agency for her life and her life decisions. She never outright says it, but she's extremely jealous of Alice's career and she's just like a very miserable person. She's never really redeemed ever for me. Like she says, 
I just had this sense that if Simon had taken me under his wing earlier in life, I might have turned out a lot better. Yeah, she says things. She says things like that. She's just very difficult to spend time with. She's also very cruel. I think she's very. She hates her roommates, and her roommates hate her. We never see her roommates, but you can tell she's just like not nice to be around um, or be in the same room with. At the very beginning of the novel, we'll talk a little bit more about I think family and. Rooney's portrayal of family in this novel, but <laughs> she, this is just more about Eileen's character. Quote, let's quote Laura. Her mother is like upset and crying and trying to speak to Eileen. Eileen watched her uneasily and said, I really care that you're unhappy. I just don't know what you want me to do. What outcome do you want here? She asked. I can't give you money. I can't go back in time and make you marry a different man. You want me to listen to you complaining about it? I'll listen. I am listening, but I'm not sure when you think your unhappiness is more important than mine. (laughs) She's just like the absolute worst. I just really can't stand her. And that quote is from the first few pages of the novel when we're introduced to Eileen. So I have to assume that Rooney is writing her as just so unlikable for a reason. You think Rooney did that intentionally? She must have. I think it's such a overt cruelty to someone's mother who has not done anything in in the novel that would deserve any kind of treatment like that. Um, I cannot imagine reading that passage and thinking people are going to relate to this girl. She's great. But I think that in this novel that it's anchored in these two romantic relationships and then in the friendship between Eileen and Alice. And I found myself wondering through the whole book, what do Alice and Simon who are ostensibly good people. Alice is very smart. She's funny. Simon is working towards good in the world. Like we're often told how idealistic he is, how he wants to do the right thing. He's very good looking. So I'm just at a loss for why these two are so drawn to Eileen. Like you said, negative, not having any sense of agency. She doesn't find joy in anything. She constantly complains that Alice has moved away from her and hasn't come to visit her in Dublin, like ignoring the fact that she could easily go visit her in this small town outside as well. It's just a total lack of responsibility for anything in her life. I think Rooney wrote this character as someone who used to, because like we see later, we'll talk about Eileen's like gratitude journal. She, and in college, she was, it seems as if like she was more successful and she started out, I think she was writing Eileen as a person who had become depressed and had become sort of beaten down by life. But there's also other character traits of Eileen that shows he's, she's always been seen herself as like a victim. And part of that is her seeing her relationship with her sister. I don't know, the way that this scene with her mother in the very beginning, it could be that she was writing this to, to make Eileen an immediately like kind of a miserable character. But I also have seen pieces of Sally Rooney's writing where she alludes to like people in middle age and people in the parental generation, I guess you would call it like the boomer generation, and how they seem to think that their problems have always been more important than millennial problems. So I I actually could also see Eileen, like Rooney speaking through Eileen and agreeing with her character on this too from some of the other quotes and illusions that I've seen that older people just like 
think their problems are more heavily weighted than younger people's. I think I had a quote in one of my earlier notes saying, LOL, wait till Sally Rooney reaches middle age. But that's horrifying. That's horrifying. If we were supposed to like relate to the way that Eileen was treating her mother in that moment, it was totally unsuccessful. I do think the way like uh, Eileen's kind of myopic worldview works better on a macro scale when we're not dealing with her interpersonal relationships, but when we're dealing with like how she interfaces with society. So there's a quote in one of her emails to Alice, which is where Eileen's voice works the best when they're talking about kind of larger societal issues in these emails. And she's talking about how she went to a convenience store to buy lunch. And she she says, I felt dizzy thinking about it. I mean, I really felt ill. It was as if I suddenly remembered that my life was a television show and that every day people died making the show, were ground to death in the most horrific ways, children, women, and all, so that I could choose from various lunch options each packaged in multiple layers of single-use plastic. I thought I would throw up. Of course, a feeling like that can't last. Maybe for the rest of the day I feel bad, even for the rest of the week. So what? I still have to buy lunch. So I think that that passage too could be seen as like flippant and gross and is in line with Eileen's character that just has this insanely depressed, bleak way of looking at things. But for me, that passage worked like I think Rooney kind of perfected her archetype in there like to be a Rooney girl I think it means like you feel genuinely unwell about exploitation that's inherent in like every step of modern life but at the end of the day you still have to buy lunch like you're still wrapped up in your relationship with your boyfriend like you're not you're trying to reckon with the ills of society but you're feeling like you're not making an impact and so you just turn sort of inward and become self-obsessed that's what I get from from most Rooney archetypes. I think it works well, again, interfacing with those larger issues. But when it's turned, when that cruelty and that flippancy is turned on your own mother, um, it was really hard to read. I agree that Eileen's, and, and that's why I liked the emails the most in the, in the novel. I think we get an insight to Eileen's character that makes her more redeemable. And yeah, the the passage about I still have to buy lunch. I agree. I think that is a much more effective way of capturing someone who is at once depressed and overwhelmed by the state of society that we're in today, but also reckoning with how to live within it and acknowledging that to to not live within it and to not be a part of it would mean going out and living in the woods. I think Eileen tends to be like the common sticking point for both of us. Let's talk about Simon a little bit, because obviously that's a huge part of their, her, their relationship together. But I think for me, the thing that really bothered me about Sally Rooney's set writing and creation of Simon is that his entire character is centered around him being religious, as if being an actively religious person informs every aspect of his personality. And there's so many quotes you can pull about it. Also, the character's reactions to like the fact that he is religious and how outrageous it is to them that religious young people still exist. That also, I think, was very, really showed Sally Rooney's like worldview and her kind of limited perspective within her worldview. For example, Alice says to Felix about Simon, he's religious, you know. Felix cocked his head as if expecting her to clarify the joke. As in, he believes in Jesus, he said. Yeah. 
fucking hell, seriously? He's weird in the head or something, is he? Um, and then they talk a lot. Yeah, so that's just like very quintessential like reaction to the fact that Simon is religious. And then they all keep alluding to the fact that Simon is trying to be like Jesus. And he's got like a Jesus complex. He's got a martyr complex. Alice says, you know what's wrong with him? I'm serious. It's called a martyr complex. He never needs anything from anyone. And he thinks that makes him a superior being. Whereas in reality, he just leads a sad, sterile life, sitting alone in his apartment, telling himself what a good person he is. So they all seem to be like projecting a lot of their own personal insecurities onto the fact that Simon is religious. <laughs> so I think that it was believable, though, that these two girls, one who is uh, works at a literary magazine, one who is a novelist, like these hyper intellectual women in their early 30s. I thought it was totally believable that they would be kind of taken aback that someone in their social circle went to mass every Sunday. Like, maybe that's because it's similar to my social circle and how it would be received here. But I agree with you that because we're seeing Simon through Alice and Eileen's eyes, like there are, are primary ways into this story. His character was reduced to a big part of his character is is having this martyr complex and, and being religious. So much of the novel is is about figuring out how to exist in the modern world and trying to, like these women, trying to reckon with how their ideals and morals can be a part of their everyday life, like how we were talking about um, with the you still have to buy lunch quote. And religion is maybe Alice and Eileen see it as like a simple way to square that. Like, I think maybe part of Alice and Eileen is envious that Simon has what they see as kind of this easy to follow guide of how to exist within the world, how to adhere to values that that he stands behind. You see them trying to grapple with this a little bit in their emails to each other. Eileen sends an email to Alice after she attends mass with Simon, where, where she kind of is admiring Simon after seeing him be so sincerely committed to experiencing this mass. And she says, can it be that during the service, I actually came to admire the sincerity of Simon's faith, but how is it possible for me to admire someone believing something I don't believe and don't want to believe and which I think is manifestly wrong and absurd. If Simon started to worship a turtle as the son of God, for example, would I admire his sincerity? Am I admiring just the ritual then? Admiring his ability to blandly and uncritically accept received wisdom? So I see I see what you mean. And it is a little bit flippant, but I just did think it was super believable uh, with these women given their social status and careers. The, I just wish there had been some contrasting character viewpoint because it's Felix and Alice and Eileen all find his religion like ridiculous i wish there had been some sort of mm -hmm. like, contrasting viewpoint or and simon never you know defends himself in any way which um i think is in line with his character but i think that there are a lot of highly intellectual urban sort of people who are really interested in spirituality and really receptive to spirituality and you see a lot of like authors and writers in literary fields explore religion and how it affects our worldview and I think because a lot of this novel talks about like the meaning of life and what it means to find happiness, what it means to find purpose. Yeah, look past these sort of like really frustrating and overwhelming things that we are stuck in society. I just thought it was very glaring how they characterize Simon's religion when really like spirituality can be 
something to explore within that sphere of questioning. So that's why I wish there had been some sort of levity to it. And I also wish that Simon's character had been more than just being religious and working in politics because it just makes him, and we can talk about his relationship with Eileen. It just makes it, I think that was part of what was so frustrating about the relationship dynamic between Eileen and Simon um, was that Eileen was so needy and uh, like the, the ultimate victim. And then Simon was like, uh, the do-gooder wanting to take care of her, like wanting to sort of be that feed into enable her victimhood, actually. <laughs> and then we, we can talk a little bit about like the the daddy complex thing and the submission dominance pieces. It's pretty light in this novel, but I, I think the part that bothered me the most about her relationship with Simon is that Eileen literally, like they sleep together and she's, well, they're sleeping i think while they're in the act she says i love you to him after like they're in their first hookup since they were a bit younger in a couple of years and then every time they sleep together she tells him that she loves him and then the next second she's like whatever like she and you know that's part of the story is that she's creating her own unhappiness that she's her own worst enemy that's very much the theme of why they can't be together but Maybe it's because I'm a bit older now, and this there. I think they're in their late twenties. She's in her late twenties, I think, and then they turn thirty, like at the very end of the novel. She and Alice do, but and maybe it's because Eileen was already such an unredeemable character to me that, uh, just I was like, just go away, like go be unhappy. Nobody cares, Eileen. <laughs> you want to be a victim, like you're making it happen. <laughs> She's so into playing games. She's your girlfriend who's like waiting two hours to text a guy back. And you're just like, you know, it gives you a headache because you you just lose patience for that at a certain point. Um, I just could never buy. I, I She must be the way I squared it in my head is she must be like so physically beautiful. And I can buy that men are dumb enough to like for a physically beautiful woman put up with those games and everything like that. But I mean, at one point, he Simon gets kind of exasperated with her pushing him away, pulling him in. And he says, Eileen, what do you want? Because if you seriously want us to be together, I can end things with Caroline at any time. I'd be happy to more than happy. But if you don't want that, and we're just playing around and having fun, then you know, I can't be single for the rest of my life because it suits you better. I have to at some point, I have to get over that. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm just trying to figure out what you want. And as soon as I read that, I was like, Eileen is going now it's not a chase anymore Eileen is going to get so bored of him in three years beyond <laughs> the next I just found that to be like very wormy and unattractive from Simon of like what do you want how can I rearrange my whole life to make it work for whatever games you want to play I, I found their relationship super exhausting yeah. um, and they do sort of they are the couple at the end of the book that winds up with a happily ever after where <laughs> Eileen is is having Simon's oh, baby yeah and I, it's, it's one of those pieces of the novel that, again, I thought really didn't work because, and we'll talk about the, like, ending, the sort of climax that we have with the four of the characters being together. But in the end, she and Simon have a discussion, but they never really resolve anything. They never really uncover, like, any of the deeper conflict that they had between them before. It's just like, well, we've always been meant to be together, and now we can be together. And then... 
they I, I'm just like Eileen is so messed up <laughs> and their power dynamic and their relationship structure is so messed up like the fact that they were having a baby didn't make me hopeful or happy in any way it made me like sad for that baby <laughs> um and I I thought that sort of quote-unquote happily ever after ending it wasn't a happily ever after ending in my eyes which I think Sally Rooney was trying to make it that way but Allison Felix's ending was a lot more hopeful to me than the nuclear family because and we'll talk about family as well but I think Bruni has a lot of disdain for the nuclear family but at the same time she wants her like her young protagonists to sort of aspire to that we saw that in normal people in the ending where the two protagonists get together and then um, the female protagonist in that novel, she is just like, I'm happy to be normal now. And that was sort of what Rooney was aspiring for with her characters. It seems like she's trying that with this as well. But then when we see all of the relationships between each of these characters and their siblings, each of these characters and their parents, it's always horrible. So I'm like, Sally, like, do you want, this isn't isn't the cycle just going to repeat itself with your character leads and their children unless they resolve the issues that they have with their current family structure I, I it's just going to be a cycle that pervades itself so it's not a happy ending she's unaware of this in her writing in some ways while at the same time being a very extremely self-conscious writer and that's that's another thing that really took me out of the story as i was reading yeah, that's fair enough. Families are at least not something that Rooney takes a lot of time to write about. I think Alice is totally out of contact with her parents. Um, we have a sister of Eileen's, Lola, that is mentioned in the book, but really not part of the story in any significant way. That quote where Eileen was being horrible to her mother is about as far as we get with her parents. Felix has a, a really strained relationship with his brother uh, that we explore in the last third of the book. So there is a lot of negativity in, in these people's nuclear families. Certainly, I don't think that there's really a loving, close family relationship in the bunch here. I agree. They're not, they're not deeply explored, but I think they do have a big effect on the story because Eileen's relationship with her, with her sister Lola affects her very deeply even though it's very sparse throughout the novel and her sister's portrayed as like a totally evil person without any nuance whatsoever what <laughs> lola's always saying one day you're gonna have to li live in the real world when eileen tells her like she looks beautiful on her wedding day her sister grimaces and walks away eileen says to people, my sister's getting married. That's exciting, people would reply. You must be so happy for her. Yeah, it's funny, Eileen would say, I'm not. Even though it was really sparse, and then the whole explosive scene with Felix and his brother, Alice says about her family, her, her mother and her brother, she provides for them financially. And then she says, the sad thing is I feel better when I don't have to see them. It's not very Christian, I know, I hope they're happy, but I prefer to be with people who like me. So I would argue, even though the family is very sparse, 
pieces we do have are extremely influential on the characters and how they see the world. And I wonder if part of that was to focus our attention down to just this core group of four friends, because I think ultimately the theme of this book is like in a chaotic world, the grounding forces and all we can rely on are our relationships or are like love and friendship. And that was really, you know, we've been, I think, on the same page for, for the whole discussion here about the, the book's shortcomings with Eileen and Simon certainly but really what elevated this to like a five-star read for me was I I thought it was truly beautifully constructed there's one quote that I think we both had pulled that sums up everything that Rooney is trying to do with this novel here it says and if that means that the human species is going to die out, isn't it a nice reason to die out? The nicest reason you can imagine? Because when we should have been reorganizing the distribution of the world's resources and transitioning collectively to a sustainable economic model, we were worrying about sex and friendship instead, because we loved each other too much and found each other too interesting. I love that. I know it's like openly <laughs> embarrassing to love a quote that that's like that's sincere and saccharine, but I really related to that, you know, here like you wake up every morning to news of like a new mass shooting or a threat against a marginalized group of people or like a report that we've passed the point of no return with climate change. And it feels exhausting and it wears on you in a really fundamental way. Like it, it feels harder and harder to wake up every morning. And you, you think like, how can I reckon with all this as, as like one individual, but then like my husband will make me laugh or when your dog greets you at the door, kind of all that falls away and you feel like acute happy in the moment and then you have to grapple with like do you feel guilt or are you just ignoring the horrific state of the world to get through the day and I thought that that was really well explored in this book and the format of the girls when they're sending each other emails so much of the content of their emails is focused on them grappling with you know the political landscape around them the inequality of the distribution of wealth like all these big issues that are difficult to swallow. And then the moments where we're getting omniscient narration, we see what their lives really consist of, which is their relationships and their friendships with each other. I think Rooney was really disciplined about the way she structured the book that way. And for me, it totally paid off. Um, and, and just everything kind of came back to support that quote of like, we loved each other too much and found each other too interesting. Isn't that the most beautiful thing that <laughs> we were just worried about sex and friendship and that of everything else that was going on. Yeah. Did it work for you or do you, do you feel that at all? I do. I think like, like I said at the very, very beginning of our discussion, those exchanges between Alice and Eileen and I think Rooney exploring those themes through these characters was, was the best part of the novel. And I think it's, it was more true to Rooney's like strength as a writer. I think it really captured, she is able to, explore these really complex questions in a way that may, is really thoughtful and also very like still approachable um, as a reader where it gives you space to to ask the same questions and to see it in dialogue back and forth between the two characters gives you space to reflect and ask questions and I do think that those themes about love and relationships and friendship are important things like that that's again what Rooney is has her strength in is exploring those dynamics. The reason I guess I was frustrated about some of these things that I've pointed out 
with Simon and with the family pieces that come in is that I think finding that levity in the darkness of life <laughs> with with the news and, and all of this stuff, finding that levity, um, and this is maybe just like my own personal worldview, you can explore that through spirituality. You can also explore that through relationships with family, even through the dark, dark relationships with family that are strug- like a struggle and really difficult and painful and I think anytime you're attached to a person, you're going to have pain through friendship, romance, or family. Um, and I think for her to have that kind of black and white viewpoint that we find all of our levity through friends and, and romantic relationships and none of that levity through family, um, I just think that she's cutting out like a really big potential for exploration there and she does that i'm pointing that out in this novel but she does that consistently in all of her novels you see that the the relationships that the characters have with their family members are only a source of darkness for them so i do appreciate that she was trying to find like meaning in life through this structure but i think she's limiting herself in many ways by having these really these really kind of hard lines with what she's willing to find levity through and joy through yeah i guess that's maybe why i struggled with and and why it took me out of the story a bit um when she exposed those themes i agree with you and i hadn't thought about it until you know our conversation right now but the I think Eileen and Alice's refusal to explore anything on a spiritual level and their dismissal of of Simon's faith is interesting in a book that is this explicitly about the meaning of life and how you get through day to day. Um, So I think that that is probably a, a, a gap here, whether it's due to just Rooney's background, what she's interested in writing, or how she sees these characters um, and what they would value. I think that it could have been, you know, they could have explored that more deeply, their feelings on whether it be that they had a specific issue with organized religion or just didn't feel connected to spirituality in general. That could have been interesting to explore. And I guess the other thing that when it comes to finding meaning and when it comes to finding happiness and I think why I liked Alice and Felix's relationship more and found more like hope in their relationship is because they're both working on themselves individually and like through their relationship, they're working on themselves. Alice knows she has a lot to work on with her mental health. She's connected to her writing and that's her sort sort of her internal universe. I think Felix also is extremely self-aware and kind of, is aware of his own shortcomings and what he needs to work on. And I think Rooney was really, yeah, I appreciated the way she wrote those characters and how their romance actually allowed them to like keep working on that, doing that internal work and keep building and growing and finding joy in life. Whereas Simon and Eileen obviously have a lot of issues separately. Eileen maybe more so than Simon because we don't get a ton of Simon's interior interior world. But it's like with that character match and in normal people we saw it with those characters, it was like they she didn't give them any space to do work on their problems like within themselves. She almost was like, oh, you need a romance to find happiness she they they weren't capable of finding this happiness without that like romance in their lives and that kind of made me anxious because i'm like for you to put all of your happiness on 
or a romantic partner isn't is a recipe for pain and failure. Um, it can be a big, important piece of your happiness and a huge, important piece of you building your life. But I think that's what frustrated me in normal people. And that's what frustrated me with Simon and Eileen and their ending. Yeah, there was very much just like a we're saving each other situation where as soon as they got together and committed to each other, all their issues disappeared, which was frustrating and overly simplified. I totally agree with like the, and I think that's a novel that people needed in this moment was looking at the darkness in the world, but also finding how to refine that joy and refine that meaning and refine that light. I think that's probably why this novel was well received and well read was because especially it came out during at like the height of the pandemic. And I think it's just, it was that sort of like, because there's a lot of books coming out during the pandemic and since and before that are just like, we're all going to die. <laughs> like it's just climate change is coming for us. Like weather by Jenny Offill. Um, and some of those more dire narratives without much hope. <laughs> and I agree. And, and Rooney, you know, this is Alice talking about her own work, but I think it like so obviously applies to the the work itself, Beautiful World as well. So Alice is, who can care in short, what happens to the novel's protagonist when it is happening in the context of the human species? Do the protagonists break up or stay together? In this world, what does it matter? So the novel works by suppressing the truth of the world, packing it tightly down underneath the glittering surface of the text. And we can care once again, as we do in real life, whether people break up or stay together. And if only we have successfully forgotten about all the other things that are more important than that, i.e. everything. I love that. It's the book just like proving its own thesis its characters are all like very self-aware and trying to grapple with these huge societal issues that are way over their heads but ultimately their story is just about how they relate to each other they don't have the ability really to intellectualize their relationships and that ends up being beautiful like it's both trivial but also like the quote says the only thing that matters i loved how that worked in the book yeah, and I think we're, we've been talking a little bit about Sally Rooney's writing style and, and the structure. And for you, the structure really worked super well. Um, I, I agree. I think this book couldn't have just been email exchanges between the two friends. I mean, maybe no. may, maybe with some creativity, if it was worked a bit differently, it could have. But I think having a contrasting narrative format keeps it more interesting and grounded and it gives you a sense of like relief from those email exchanges and those deeper questions when you just go into the day-to-day -day life. So I think I liked that part about the structure, but I just really struggled with Rooney's third person narration. Um, they, it felt really stilted and self-conscious to me. It, it felt like cripplingly self-aware that she was writing for an audience. Like, some of the, I think she was being kind of creative with what she was doing and trying something new, but it read like stage directions to me sometimes, like the way she would describe a setting or a scene, the way she would describe the characters' reactions to one another. I'll just pull like two quotes um, that really are examples of, of times where I was like, oh, like I'm just super aware of the writing. Her hair, dark and falling loosely over her shoulders, looked clean and slightly dry. She climbed onto her bed and opened her laptop. 
And it was just like a lot of lines that read like that. To this, he offered no reply at all, just nodded with a vaguely grim expression of forbearance, as if this aspect of her personality, her tendency to be witty and verbose, was, after an hour or two of conversation, a quality had, he had noted and determined to ignore. So I get what she's trying to do. It works in some ways, but it's just like, blah, 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 blah. Like it's a lot of vaguely grim expression of forbearance. Like that just, there was just a lot of pieces of the writing that felt really like unnatural. And I think Rooney was just like, probably, I don't know what it's like to write under that pressure of fame, but I could tell she was sort of trying really hard in those pieces. But sorry, Laura, please respond. I cut you off. <laughs> No, it's it's mannered for sure. Like, and that's just going to be a style where it works for you or it doesn't. For me, it didn't bother me, but she does 100%. You can tell, I think, especially at the beginning of the novel, she's intentionally being experimental and trying to have the narration be really observational, like that it's not informed by any background of the characters. Like they'll say, a woman sat at the bar. She picked up her drink. Like the word don't have any actual insight into Alice or Eileen. We're just kind of watching them. Mm -hmm. But it fades in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and she's not consistent with it yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like in moments where it's convenient to have background, then we do. And in moments where she's going for something stylistically, then the narrators fly on the wall. So I do wish that she would have kind of picked a lane and been consistent because I think that probably contributed to like the jarring feeling yeah of going back and forth yeah and I'm just going to read this quote from one of her interviews where she talks about her writing um because I think it's it's something that we both picked up on so this is Sally Rooney it took me a long time to work out how to tell the story of this novel it was difficult for me to answer any of the basic questions that a novelist has to answer whose story is this when does it begin when does it end who tells it and so on None of the narrative techniques I had used in my previous two books, first person, past tense narration in the first novel, and close third person, present tense in the second, seemed to be of any use to me this time around. I had to work out a new kind of narrative voice, or at least new to me, in order to make sense of the story I wanted to tell. At the same time, it's a very simple story. It's about four characters and the relationships between them. I just had to put some effort into finding the right shape, structure, and voice to convey the novel I knew I wanted to write. So and that quote like from Sally Rooney about her process, like really, you, I was like, yes, like I, you could sense all of that in this novel. Yeah. And I really don't think if this had been her first novel, it would not have been successful. It would have been maybe successful in some ways, but not the phenomenon that were her first two novels. And the reason that this novel is successful is because everyone is obsessed with Sally Rooney and really focused on her as a writer. But I think part of that, you know, is probably the pressure of writing a new piece. Probably part of that is that her worldview has been so affected by her fame and by people's reception of her work. Like we saw in Normal People, there were some totally outlandish, wild, critical pieces written about normal people that were just like, it's like the whole Marxist allegory one that we talked about. And you could even see in some of her author interviews, like when she was sitting down for discussion, like she would be asked questions about some of these things. And she was like, I was trying to write a good novel. Like she was like, this is a novel about in relationships and people and she took a really hard stance with this as well she's like this is a novel about relationships and people like she wants to be 
a good novelist, I think. So I think she was more true to that in this, but God, I don't know what it's like writing under those, that extreme pressure and observation. I cannot imagine. And this is a smaller story. It's not as sexy. There's not affairs like there are in the first two novels. We don't have as much of the Marxism political elements coming in here. So there's just a bunch of things that make it less splashy and headline worthy. Although she is very quick to remind us through Eileen that she thought Marxism was cool first. (laughs) (laughs) That Eileen has at a bar where she's, oh my God, I'm going to find the quote. Paula said they were talking about communism. Everyone's on it now, said Eileen. It's amazing. When I first started going around talking about Marxism, people laughed at me. Now it's everyone's thing. And to all these new people trying to make communism cool, I would just like to say, welcome aboard, comrades. No hard feelings. The future is bright for the working class. I was like, oh my God, shut you up. Don't, you don't think that that has... <laughs> She's not saying that with a wink. Come on. She has to be self-aware. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm probably not giving her enough credit. <laughs> she, she took herself very seriously in some of her first author interviews. But to be fair, she was like in her late 20s. Fair. But I'm sure that gives you such like imposter syndrome to be like, yeah, crowned this literary darling and so I I do like that with this novel she's been really intentional about saying I'm writing a book about people and relationships and I think that her books work better in a vacuum without all of her reputation and literary merit that we force upon them like I actually think I think Beautiful World is like a pretty good beach read like it's just kind of about people dating I think it's a it's super easy read there's nothing that's like gonna be really challenge you here goes down really nice and easy it's not like all that different from a Taylor Jenkins read type of situation but it just I think criticism of her puts a whole bunch more weight on on whatever she writes than she might be intending but maybe and I think you know from your perspective she's courted some of that which is fair enough it's interesting because part of me really admires Sally Rooney I mean not part of me all of me really admires Sally Rooney and what she's accomplished and I think she is a skilled talented writer. I think there's much more good work to come from her. I want her to keep experimenting. I want her to keep building and honing her craft. But I think part of what I would like to see in a future from Sally Rooney is that an expansion of her worldview. Because with every author, your personal experiences affect your work. And I think with Rooney especially, she talks about university life. She talks about love and relationships. She talks about being a student and coming of age. And now she's written a novel about people in their late 20s moving into their 30s and starting to build families. Like she, she very much writes from experiences like most authors, all authors do. But I think because she has such a limited world experience, it really colors her writing and the themes that she explores. And I that's where I feel like I, I hit a wall with, with her writing is just that lack of open-mindedness in some ways, I guess. Like she's very good at what she knows, but she doesn't, she, her worldview isn't that expansive. I don't know, like maybe that's a really personal attack on the author, I realize, but like, I, I think she has so much potential. I just really want her to, to experience some more things and get out of that sort of literary writing literature with a capital L bubble that she's 
partly put herself into, but partly been put into, I think, by the people around her and who they tell her that she is. Like, I just want to say, pull one quote from from an interview again that (laughs) I found hilarious. She's, so I think this is, Rooney is super skilled as a writer, but she's not acknowledging her mass appeal and she sees her work as being more elevated than what it actually is. So this is Sally Rooney. Romantic and sexual relationships drive the narrative in Emma, Anna Karenina, The Wings of the Dove, In Search of Lost Time, sustaining and enriching the further depths and complexities of these books. I think that's basically what I strive for in my work. So for her to, in one sort of little excerpt, compare her this novel and her previous novels to Jane Austen, Tolstoy, Proust-like I'm sorry, but Tolstoy, she is not. Bruce, she is not. Yeah, that's yeah. that's totally okay. I think to to be successful as a writer, you have to decide what your success is going to be. For her to be published and so widely read and so widely embraced by so many people is a huge accomplishment to have in life. But she, at the same time, wants to put herself in this bucket with this sort of pretentious literary sphere and. I, I just, I wish she would sort of embrace her mass appeal and still challenge herself and still push her themes and push herself further. But she has to like let go of some of that self-consciousness. I don't know. I'm getting really in the weeds with Sally Rooney, but I'm just really fascinated <laughs> by her as a writer. And, and Loki, I'm super jealous of her success. So that definitely colors my reading of her work too. <laughs> Sally Rooney write a war novel let's see it I want it um but so overall would you uh recommend Beautiful World Where Are You? Yeah I would um I've gone back and forth on whether or not I would recommend it but I think Sally Rooney is worth worth reading I think her body of work is really interesting and I think this novel while I don't love everything about it obviously um i do do think that her exploration of character and her exploration of happiness and finding meaning is worth reading about and for me i already alluded to at the beginning of the episode it's just a five-star read for me i can't disagree with the criticism that you bring up like i think all valid points things that I see in the novel as well. But there's just some of those novels, like I think I put in my notes that this book was like a middle schooler reading Twilight for me. Like <laughs> the Alex and the Alice and Felix relationship was just like so into it. Mm-hmm. I loved it was the overall message was emotionally moving for me. This is one of those ones that was like, the heart wants what it wants. Mm-hmm. I want this book. It really worked <laughs> for me. I haven't, I have not connected with Rooney's work as much in the past. Like this is by far uh, my favorite of her um, three novels, but I will definitely continue to read. And I think we will continue to cover whatever she puts out next. Yeah. Agreed. No, I, I think I will always continue to read Sally's Rooney's work, no matter what she puts out. There are some, authors who had connected with really strongly for certain pieces of work and then read others and fallen fallen out of love with said author. Um, but I think Sally Rooney is someone who she will continue to be a strong writer in many ways. And I will continue to critique her extremely harshly because I know she can be so much better. <laughs> Happy reading. Thanks very much. 